Do you remember the 21st night of September? I told you I was going to sing this, okay? I did. I told we you remembered. I was going to sing We remembered. Remember. We were ready. Yes, love was changing the minds of pretenders, y'all. All right? That's what was happening while we're chasing, chasing the clouds away. Every single cloud. All of them, because it's been raining lately. Like a lot, Detroit. <laughs> it's been my raining. goodness. There are children missing soccer games. It has been really bad <laughs> out here. It has been okay. There's depressed children in the world who really just wanted to play a soccer game, and those clouds were not chased away. Oh, the curbs are full of our basement's treasures. Ugh. It's been a time, but September. It's more. It's more than just that. We got it is more going than on just in that. September. So why there are. Welcome back. Welcome to September. We're here. We're back. We're excited to share with you. Um, yes. Voices of REC. That's right. That's us. Um, we're out here in September. September houses all sorts of celebrations for some Ooh, what? intersections of our community. Ooh. We've got Hispanic Heritage Month in September. Yes. Also known as Latino, Latina, Latin heritage month y'all and that actually is you know really interesting because it actually starts in the middle of the month right right september 15th and then it goes all the way to october 15th so we will revisit this next month absolutely in Um, case y'all forgot i've actually been learning about why that's the case i think it, it is because it coincides with some of the um independent states for different yep. Latin American countries. Yep, yep, yep. So I'm here for that, like, yep, implied yep, yep. meeting with intention. Thank mm-hmm. you, this Hispanic Heritage Month. Ooh. We also have, um, it's Suicide Awareness Month wow. in September. So we've been super mindful of our mental health support. We've yes. been shouting out Trevor Project and their resources for our community. Incredible, Incredible. Being, you know, mindful and intentional with how we're affirming people in our lives. Yes. So we are recognizing things we can do. So all the love out there to everyone who's out here fighting a good fight. Yes. And amongst other things, but this one specifically for us, especially being Ruth Ellis Center, um, it's Bisexual Awareness Week in okay. September. Okay. And a whole Bisexual Visibility Day. Come on, visibility. So I'm sending love to everyone out there under that by umbrella, especially my pansexual babies, but also our omnisexual folks, polysexual, huh. queer, yes. fluid, uh, yes. hetero, flexible, bi curious, yes. homo flexible, whatever yes. it is you identify as. If you're holding this umbrella with me, I'm sending love to you. All right. So extra love out to all of our bye 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 folks. Hello, goodbyes. Uh, yes. Bye babies. Bye yes. bye my bye babies. Come on. Visibility of the B in LGBTQ plus. A plus. Plus. You named a lot of the plus. Shout <laughs> out. Shout out. Well, I just, I cannot get over how language evolves, how we are evolving, and both things mm-hmm. represented of each other. So I, I love mean, that we're kind of just embracing the spectrum always. We are. I mean, at some point, I'm thinking eventually we'll move to Soji, diverse Soji. Um, which if you know if some of you are not familiar with that term soji s-o-g-i-e sexual orientation gender identity and expression so if you ever hear us say diverse soji we're shouting everyone out and you know do you know where i learned that term 
Oh, tell me. It's kind of a natural transition. I didn't realize. I learned okay. it from the Ruth Ellis Institute doing my Ooh. training oh, when dope. I was onboarding. I wasn't familiar. So I don't know that I, I, I feel like, I feel like I've only heard those words spoken, but mm. never like an acronym for it. So exactly. I'm with you. I'm with you. So and I'm plugging it all over too. Do it. Plug it everywhere because I think it's really important. Um, we never want for anyone in the community, anyone under these various umbrellas to feel left out. And, you know, like the plus is cool. <laughs> the plus is cool, but there are other terms um, so that everyone is sort of feeling included, right? And aren't we all about that? We're all about inclusion and inclusivity. That is so, what we're about. You heard it first. Well, maybe not first from us, but you heard it from us. <laughs> Again, Soji. Yes. Soji. Diverse Soji. Um, and sort of a cool thing, you know, for our listeners that have been meaning to volunteer and work with us at the center, um, we have a really cool um, training that all of our volunteers go through, which includes sort of a one-on-one -on, -one on the community. So you actually get in part um, something very similar to new staff, okay? Because that's how much a part of our family you become when you work with us. That's you want right. to get educated and oriented just like we are, okay? Because we're a family. That's right. Okay, and a family that loves together grows together. Okay, period. This education piece is everything, right? Because we really want the is. whole world to be safe and a right. for All right. young people. Exactly. So. One family member at a time. All right. That's how this works. That's how that's, this is how we do things. So in this specific episode, we're we're gonna be giving you a couple things, serving a couple dishes, okay? So one dish is going to include some affirming words and That's some serious, deep breathing. If you so choose, that right. makes you comfortable. Yes, if that's a thing that you're into, if you think you could be into it, all right, this might be a nice intro for you. Now, if this is something that you're really into, bust out those candles, okay? It's your get essential those, oil. Period, get those things out, get them all out. Because smudge I, sticks all of it okay rosemary are you going to scarborough fair okay parsley sage rosemary and thyme all right get it all out i love you sorry okay. everyone i love nazarena i love you too <laughs> but that just affirmed it for me get, get it. it get it out go get it put yourself right. in whatever comfortable mind space you're in and we're just going to share yeah. some breaths and some affirming statements no big deal yeah but All after right. that, after that, I know we after got something that. really, like, not just special, but substantial that's kind of going to have what I hope is a global impact in terms of influence. Okay, and so what y'all, Alicia, is alluding to y'all, is we've got this brand spanking new gender affirmation tool developed by the one and only Ruth Ellis Institute, and you will get to meet okay, two of the incredible people that helped put this together, all right? We're gonna be talking about it. We're gonna be talking about why it exists, what we're using it for, how maybe you can use it, okay? And supporting yourself and our incredible community, all right? It's, it's how and why we do things, y'all. But yeah, stay with us. It's still September. Mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Stay with us and uh, yeah, enjoy. I thought I'd take advantage of our gender affirming episode to share just some affirming statements with all of you. Affirmations are often, you know, put into an I am format, but really they're any conscious sentiment that you're trying to feed your own mental, emotional, physical space. I found these while I was scrolling through some content that Impact posted and they really resonated. I found them perfect in the moment and I just thought, our whole community needs to know how beautiful they are in their moments. So let's go ahead and share uh, some of these beautiful reasons that life looks beautiful on you. Making choices that break free from societal constructs looks beautiful on you. Deprogramming and disengaging from the status quo looks beautiful on you. Learning to be accountable and a hypocritical and hypocritical society looks beautiful on you. Expressing vulnerability beyond your comfort zone, psh, that looks so beautiful on you. Embracing your full spectrum of emotions and allowing them to pass looks beautiful on you. Showing up as your whole self and caring for your well-being looks beautiful on you. Trusting your transformation and its divine timing looks beautiful on you. Allowing yourself to experience and receive the joys of life looks beautiful on you. The world is a much more beautiful place with you in it, I guarantee. So thanks for sharing this moment with me and I affirm my gratitude for all of you. Until next time. Hey everyone, it's M to the AZ, co-host over at the Voices of REC podcast, just quickly coming to you to talk to you about one of our principles of work, namely trauma-informed care. So, and it pertains directly to what's to be achieved um, by the gender affirmation care tool, which is in the form of a video, which we're hoping you'll all get a chance to watch. Um, and so very quickly, it's like, Nezrina, what do you mean trauma-informed care? Like, what does that even mean, right? So simply put, it's just the understanding by a care provider, but really anyone who works in, in, in a place in which care is being provided, right? That sort of considers the widespread and unfortunate sort of commonplace nature of trauma. Um, and, you know, a lot of trauma, especially for our LGBTQ young people, can take place in healthcare environments. And so... Your, your hope is that, you know, pl people that work in these places and spaces um, have the understanding that they too can promote um, an environment and provide an environment where healing and recovery are the priority rather than engaging in the types of behaviors that could potentially re-traumatize a person. So, you know, in our work at the center, the idea is that our young people can show up as their full selves any and every time they interact with us, but we can't be everywhere, right? Like every space isn't necessarily built around, you know, the affirmation of LGBTQ young people. 
right? So it's important to us in doing this work to help create inclusive environments by supporting other organizations in their reaching of their goals to better serve, you know, the LGBTQ community, particularly systems of care. Um, and this gender affirming care video is, you know, going to help us do just that. We, we have this incredible staff that's a part of the um, REI, which is the Ruth Ellis Institute, and they are our training and evaluation arm. And the beauty um, of this incredible team is that they're able to spread the goodness that is, you know, Ruth Ellis Center, um, you know, two organizations that have really sort of dedicated themselves to wanting to do better. And so we're going to discuss this further in the next segment um, about, you know, how we share what we've learned to improve and better these environments, um, just to better provide services um, and affirmation for our community beyond the reaches of the center. Check it out. Hi, everyone. We are so excited about today's interview. We are getting into it with some of our key folks here at the Ruth Ellis Center who have come to join us today to talk about gender affirming care, amongst a myriad Ooh. of other things. Woo! Yeah, we're excited. It's getting real serious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it would be awesome if we could hear from the folks we're going to talk to directly. We'd love it if you could introduce yourself so we can get this conversation going. There's so much to explore on this topic, and I know Ruth Ellis has done quite a bit of work to make some information available to so many folks in the community and beyond, and we can't wait to hear all about it. So welcome to our guests, and please go feel free to introduce yourselves. Jesse, Selena, tell the beautiful people about the wonderfulness that is you. Oh, that's quite the introduction. Um, I am Selena Ortiz. I use she and they pronouns. I've worked for Ruth Ellis for about five years, um, starting with my college journey and internship. Uh, I've worked in the drop-in space. I've worked in direct care through the center. And um, for the last few years, I've been consistently working with LGBTQ um, foster youth, uh, providing support groups um, through specific programming that's grant funded, as well as helping out my awesome team in giving um, trainings on how to build affirming and supportive systems for our young people. Um, I'm finally excited that this gender affirming care project of ours is finally in a position to be shared with other folks. So I'm really excited and touched to be here today. And I'm uh, Jessie Follenkamp. I use she, her, and hers pronouns, and I'm the Education and Evaluation Director. And I've been with the Rudell Center for 11 years now. So like Selena, I've had the opportunity to work in several different departments, the Drop-In Center, Behavioral Health, Family Preservation, and now the Ruth Ellis Institute. And um, I'm a queer person living in Detroit who's the parent, and I'm passionate about us finding the best ways to enhance health and safety with young people we work with. And it turns out that um, the young people we work with have a lot of those answers. And um, so we're so excited today to talk about what we do at the Institute and with the specific project on gender affirming care, because it 
at the end of the day, all goes back to how we are holding space um, for young people to, to speak their truth and making sure that we're leveraging that information to shift power. Thank you both so much for sharing that and for all the work that you do for our community members. And like I said, um, the scope of influence that it has so far beyond just Ruth Ellis Center. Can't wait to hear more about it. Um, so I would love to just sort of get people situated and like, let's answer maybe like a couple of basic questions. One being, if you had to define it, what is gender affirming care? And this is for any and all. <laughs> Jesse, Selena, whoever feels most comfortable. I think gender affirming care is being able to walk into a space where you would normally get a service for your health, your mental health, your physical and emotional well-being, and not having to explain why you exist. Um, mm. It's folks knowing inherently what your body needs and knowing that your biology does not define your identity or your expression and that those mm -hmm. can be taken care of without making someone feel dysphoric. Mm. I love that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I seriously, just being able to, to walk into, yeah, and receive a service and with the understanding that like your entire being is going to be honored, definitely necessary for any and all, no matter how you identify. Yeah, and so thank you so much. I think the any and all piece is also, um, when we hear the word care, we often think about formal spaces that people mm -hmm. access services, offices or, or nonprofits. And I think that the way that we conceptualize this and Selena's response also speaks to the fact that uh, care happens everywhere, right? How we mm -hmm. show up for ourselves, how we show up for our friends and our family. And so when we talk about gender affirming care, we're not just talking about um, more formalized transactional services. We're also talking about how we um, acknowledge each other's self-wisdom, how we speak with each other. Um, in the training, we, we divide it up into three larger umbrella terms of, of talking about social transitioning and services and care, uh, health uh, services, transitioning care, and legal services and transitioning. Um, but those are really broad concepts that touch everyone, not just professionals who, who provide services. I love that. I thank you for sharing that. I really feel like so much of this is just going to inform how individuals engage every person that they come across. And that I think is part of the idea. And hopefully, you know, you'll speak more to that in the future of just how this information has so much potential to influence uh, so many folks um, in their day to day, in addition to like these formal services that they might be receiving. So understanding a little bit more about gender affirming care and the ways that that can be seen and applied, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, what that looks like in terms of our research, our education and evaluation that we're doing at the center, um, and specifically in the Institute, our Ruth Ellis Institute, and maybe that will lead us um, to how we came to this element and this deliverable, this beautiful asset that we now hold that we're looking to share with our community members. 
question. Yeah, so I guess to back up a little bit because some folks might not be familiar with the Ruth Ellis Institute, it is a department at the agency that focuses on um, education and evaluation. And the type of work that we do in our department is often found um, in spaces that are more academic at universities or think tanks. And we are really proud to host this work and have it embedded within our direct service nonprofit. And for me, that is arguably one of the most meaningful trajectories of my life and career to have the opportunity to learn from the young people that we serve at the Ruth Ellis Center as well as their families and make sure that that information is, is making its way to decision makers within our systems of care who have not either even recognized or seen LGBTQ young people at all or have been dismissive of those voices and that, that wisdom um, or have not really given it the space that it deserves. So the, what the Institute does is connects with the direct services at the agency to do evaluation and research around those, those services. So sometimes that's secondary evaluation of, of services that are taking place. Sometimes those are, are formal IRBs, internal review board processes that allow um, the evaluation to be research that can be published to share with the broader field. Um, and then we, we bring that information back to the agency and that informs constantly, uh, it's a form of praxis where uh, we are seeing, observing, learning, doing, and, and reintegrating what we're learning into practice. Um, and then we also utilize that information to inform our training and education and how we train other professionals to provide better services with LGBTQ youth. And in addition to training, we do quite a bit of coaching and consulting as well, because adult learners um, uh, don't often do well, just like younger people sitting down all day and, and being lectured at and then being expected to retain information and then go implement it where they work. And so coaching and consulting is really important because it gives us the opportunity to support people and their process of unlearning a lot of harmful heterosexist and cissexist ideas about how to provide social services and, and then um, co-discover with their coach new ways of doing work. Um, and that, that is radical, not just because it's LGBTQ in nature, but because it's restorative and it's also giving the field permission to say, you know what? The way that we provide services has been rooted in a lot of racist, sexist, problematic ways of interacting with each other. The power and control dynamics have been harming people that we mean to help and that these good intentions haven't been enough. And we need to have systems in place um, through evaluation and education to go back and go deeper and figure out how to make changes so that we are constantly doing better. Um, and so I think that the Institute being at the Ruth Ellis Center has been really powerful for that reason, just more broadly in terms of how we approach the work in general, let alone then giving us the opportunity to really elevate LGBTQ specific topics. So in our years of training and doing evaluation work, what we've really been learning and paying attention to is the fact that there are a lot of professionals who are LGBTQ themselves and or allies who would say absolutely they're excited to support transgender non-binary youth and accessing services. And myself as an LGBTQ person and as a person who's cisgender, I remember when I was doing counseling services, having moments where 
because there weren't clear directives on how to facilitate gender affirming care, I was missing opportunities or inadvertently even creating barriers to people accessing services. So what's really important to recognize is that this project isn't often showing up in spaces where people have really explicit hate toward the transgender non-binary community. It's typically in a space where people either haven't really thought about how they can be a, a person that helps facilitate these services, or um, people who would even identify as allies but haven't been fully implementing um, what's in their realm of power to make sure that people are getting what they need. Um, so, so that's been a really important part of, of this work and, and how this project came to be. We um, over and over again were realizing that there were all of these providers who had the ability to write letters um, that would help facilitate transgender um, people's insurance covering their gender affirming medical services. We were working with all these counselors who recognized that pronouns were important, but really didn't implement it in their work and didn't actually use the pronouns that someone was asking them to use. We were working with DHHS workers who when they got the child's clothing allowance didn't make sure that the child was able to buy clothing that they felt like themselves then with that clothing allowance. I mean, there are just thousands and thousands of ways that you actually implement gender affirming care in it, and it, we weren't seeing it happen. And that's when we realized we really need a, a specific tool, specific training that centers the wisdom of the transgender non-binary community from the Ellis Center that can help guide and direct people to do more and to do better. Jesse. That actually makes me think about, like, I'm, I'm grateful for you mentioning insurance companies and the kind of service that we provide um, at Ruth Ellis, because it wasn't until maybe two years in that I worked at Ruth Ellis that we sought out an insurance company that covered hospitals or providers that specialize in gender affirming care. And as a cisgender person, I at first had been upset because I was like, oh, well, now I have to change therapists. And that's a privilege in itself to be able to think like I can have a therapist, someone who's looking out for my mental health, while my coworkers can't even receive their basic physical needs met because our insurance would not cover that right. those providers. Um, right. And it's taking a step back and knowing that what we're implementing for our young people are, is just as equally important as those who are working within the community. Um, recently, you, you all know I've moved to Chicago and it has been really comforting to see the number of hospitals and providers that come up when you look up gender affirming care, because that not, might not be our current situation um, in my family or in my household, but that is a future I want as a possibility. And knowing that that option is there relieve so much stress and I think and as someone who is in the position that I am I know how impactful that is for the people that we serve I'm so glad that's your personal experience at this time and thank you for sharing that context from both of you I I really appreciate being able to connect kind of the micro and the macro presentation of of this entire topic and how people are experiencing it and I find like a lot of 
just like respect for each of you to be so dedicated to this work that can truly transform these systems. So not just inform, but transform as I know is our goal. So that direct service engagement piece is huge, as well as like we mentioned earlier, like just this person to person engagement and, and helping to inform and influence like how people are communicating, engaging and affirming each other. And I love that you touched on that too, Alicia. And thank you so much, Jeffy and Selena, because, you know, even, even myself, when I thought of gender affirming care, I think just because so much of my professional background um, is within like healthcare, I automatically defer to healthcare. <laughs> and, you know, thinking about like providers um, ensuring that they are being affirming to, um, you know, the LGBTQ people that they're engaging. Um, but this goes so far beyond that. Um, and there are so many um, marginalized identities, I feel like, that can be encompassed in, inside of what it means to have affirming care in general. So I think it's, it's really interesting to know that, like, even, even all of our listeners, they're like, well, 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 how can I do this? Like, you know, I don't work in a medical office, or how do I do this? I don't work in the legal field. And it's really, um, it, it really seems to be a tool that, you know, like, again, any and all can engage in. Um, to ensure that they are being affirming, um, you know, to whomever, however they present themselves, um, especially if they happen to be a part of the LGBTQ community, especially if they happen to identify as um, transgender and non-binary. So I think it's, it's really cool. I mean, even myself, I'm kind of excited about the idea of being able to take the training as well. <laughs> um, because I, I too want to, right? I too want to be um, you know, I, I too want to feel confident in my ability to, um, to provide gender affirming care in whatever, you know, environment I find myself in. So, um, I think it's, it's cool. And thank you so much for, um, kind of sharing, like, you know, it's limitless, you know, the environments are limitless where you can, you know, be, be a person, um, you know, to provide such care to someone who identifies um, within the community. So that's, that's awesome to know that, it, you know, it's, it's not um, limited to certain environments. So thank you so much for sort of opening our minds to the, the many places and environments where this can manifest. And so um, I guess our next question, you know, is, you know, how did you decide what to cover or share um, you know, because it's such a dynamic and just just a huge, huge topic. So um, when, when you're thinking about, you know, identity in general, so, you know, how did you determine what the priorities were, um, you know, for this project? Um, I think at, at Ruth Ellis in general, it has been important to always inform our work with the young people that we serve. So we took time to give them focus groups and discuss what their experiences have been, um, whether they've been positive or negative, or they've been um, changed by growth, um, what those experiences look like within healthcare, um, and then bringing them into the space with providers who've worked with Ruth Ellis um, both mental health providers and medical providers, and what that looks like at different ages, um, what that looks like across different platforms, and wow. really getting an idea of 
where each of them have been impacted by their experiences. Um, yeah, this is beautiful. Deep breath. So we've taken um, information from young people that have lived um, within Ruth Ellis in the past, who've had services over the years, young people who've actually been employed through those at this point, um, different journeys, different members of the community. Um, so we have one of the providers who works in the Health and Wellness Center um, within the video, as well as um, several therapists who work at Ruth Ellis. Um, one of our founders who is in the video. Um, we've had quite a lot of young people describe what it has been like within family situations and going to doctors and what it likes, looks like going to doctors on their own. Um, so we really prioritize their input and making the experience as informative as possible without making each of our participants like the poster child for mm. what gender affirming care looks like. Nah. Thank you. I honor that so highly. Mm -hmm. Like highlighting and shining a light on the lived experience, but not like exploitative in any sort of way, like just allowing them to draw or lead the conversation and the contents and then framing it accordingly because they are the ones. So I love that. Thanks for sharing that. And I think related to really being conscious of not assuming that an experience of any community, you know, taking that as a monolith, um, with this subject in particular of gender affirming care, I think we at the Institute and through the Center at large is really cognizant of how much um, stories are often deficit-based. Um, you know, the phrase tragedy porn is often used and to describe these situations. But I think um, that it's a really hard balance to make sure that people who've never thought about these issues or these conversations understand how high the stakes are. And for those of us who've worked at the Rithal Center and who are in the community, uh, we don't just understand how high the stakes are from an intellectual perspective. I mean, we've lost many people personally and, and in our community that we serve at the Ruth Ellis Center. So we, we feel that every day um, and, and struggle with how do we communicate that honestly without exploiting it. Um, and I think that that was really on our mind with the video and, and having trans and non-binary folks not only participate, but be involved in the editing process to give that kind of feedback and think through um, how how's this experienced when people are watching it? Um, who is the audience? Knowing that the audience are folks that maybe would say that they don't know people who are transgender or not binary, even though they certainly do, but just might not know they do. Um, and so, yeah, that, that all goes into this, this broader conversation and process. Yeah, Jesse, thank you for... Um mentioning that the young people knew who the audience was going to be for the video. Um, I think that's what gave them a lot of motivation to want to participate um, because they want to congratulate or um, thank 
the providers that have been affirming or just treating them like how they want to be treated um, and correct some of the uh, negative experiences that they had and knowing what it's like to have an affirming adult in the room. Oh, and Selena, I'm, I'm so happy that you brought that up because, um, you know, the statistic around having an affirming adult um, in the life of a young LGBTQ person sort of always just sort of flips around in my head, especially in conversations like this, where um, it is known that even just one accepting adult in a young LGBTQ person's life can literally lower the likelihood of them attempting suicide by 40%. And so understanding sort of like just how heavy um, the possible real world implications are of this incredibly important project, um, it just, it just seems to like resonate even more so. Um, so when we're thinking about um, other, you know, real world implications of uh, providers having this information, um, what comes to mind for the both of you? I think for me, what comes up um, are the occasions when I've accompanied young people into their doctor's appointments. And these are, um, these have been general um, urgent care uh, visits or doctor's visits um, that have not been with providers who are connected exclusively with Ruthellis. Um, so these young people have had agency to decide if they want to have their appointment by themselves or if they'd like me in the room. And on, on paperwork, when a provider asks, what's your date of birth? What's your legal name? That, that stings, that hurts the young people and it, it affects how they feel physically comfortable in a room with someone who will only address them by that name. Um, but the dynamic completely changes when a young person is asked, what are your name and pronouns? I am Dr. So-and-so. These are the pronouns that I use. My experiences with um, a, a trans demographic of young people. How can I help you today? What is it that you're feeling? There's so much more ease. There's less, rest, less restoration that needs to happen after the appointment. Um, there's not a lot of debriefing like I'm, I'm sorry or apologizing for um, a negative experience that could have been had. Um, I know young people who have said just let them use my dead name. I'm just here for physical stuff. I can't see myself physically the same as the person I identify as. Um, especially when it comes to school nurses and um, incidents that happen within institutions that we don't have any kind of authority to protect them in. I feel Ooh. like this is bringing harm reduction to a whole nother level, right? Mm -hmm. Like just consciously Definitely. integrating these concepts is mm -hmm. practicing harm reduction in such a large way. Mm -hmm. And we wanna make it, like you said, where folks are not just safe and experiencing this level of conscious awareness um, and consideration for individuals in Ruth Ellis Center spaces. We want that everywhere. And so until that is the case and the common practice and the standard practice everywhere, like we will not be satisfied. Right. And there are such small steps that it takes to um, get a young person to a state of comfort and feeling safe 
within different medical spaces. There's, um, there have been dentist offices that have asked our young people, um, what name would you like called when you're called back into the, into your, your room? Um, what are your pronouns? Um, do you feel most comfortable with such and such um, technician working with you? Um, it, it allows them agency over boundaries and agency over who they are um, and what is on paperwork versus how they're treated. Yeah, I'm actually all ready to have my appointment. Felina, take me to the back. Thank you, I'm ready. <laughs> I just, I mean, even myself, like, um, you know, those, it's, 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 it's crazy when you think about like how, just how simple being affirming in this manner can be, you know, and like that it doesn't at all have to be, because I feel like for some, especially for those that we were talking about, those that are sort of, um, you know, if there was a spectrum, like they're, they're almost there, you know, they, they have some idea of, of what they could do to be more affirming, but maybe they're not super confident. Right. And so I really think something like this, it's like, hey, it's actually not difficult at all to be, um, you know, to provide gender affirming care. You know, it's like it's 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 these small questions that can have a ridiculously huge impact um, and not only on this on, on this young person's like care experience, but literally how they experience what it means to be like healthy and feel well because you'll want to engage, you know, you'll like, I mean, and that's the hope, right? You'll want, they'll want to engage with their health, with their wellness um, and with the, and with the people that can help um, provide those services so that they, they can feel comfortable, um, you know, accessing services and, you know, literally calling themselves, I am healthy, I am well, and I am, you know, and I am surrounded by providers um, who care about me, you know? Because um, that's how you get healthy people, you know, like, yeah. people and like feel comfortably. Yeah. And you want them to have um, not normal, but just normalized experiences. You want right. a young person not to be afraid of a, of a shot, but to be yeah. afraid of like, oh, my arm's broken. I'm going to have to go into a cast. You'd rather than be more afraid of like actual things that are, are terrifying or right. a newer experience rather than is someone going to misgender me and think I'm a boy? Is someone going to misgender right. me and call me the wrong name? Am right. I just going to feel completely out of place in this? And you want their experiences to be as, you want them to feel as human as they are. Sorry, go no. ahead, Jesse. I see you. Go ahead. No, I was just, um, I, I, I think Selena referenced this. Uh, and I think uh, it's important to say again, kind of taking this, this thousand foot view of the work. A lot of people um, hear about the Rizal Center and assume that the answer is sending all of the LGBTQ young people to the Rizal Center. And while that is some of what we're doing, the vision of our agency is a world where LGBTQ youth are safe and supported no matter where they go. So this work is really about ensuring that a young person, no matter where they're living, can go to a, a doctor or have an interaction with a counselor that is safe and supportive. I, um, you know, the very first day that our Integrated Health and Wellness Center was open, even though our geographic focus is Detroit and Wayne County, um, a person who's transgender and on Medicaid drove down from Sheboygan, Michigan to get services. No one should have to drive that far to access 
themselves to access services, Agreed. right? And so Agreed. when we when we do this training, um, the last time we ran it, there was a nurse practitioner up in Traverse City who sat through the whole training, was really excited about the work, but at the end just said, "Well, you know, this is all great, but we don't have a Ruth Ellis Center where we where we live." And I, I paused and realized, "Oh, we have to reframe this from the beginning. That mm-hmm. you all are not." You all, the goal is not to refer young people to the Ruthellis Center necessarily, especially if you don't live in Detroit. Um, you are the people you've been waiting for. You have the ability to facilitate these services. And a part of cissexism and misinformation that's happened is that providers like nurse practitioners, pediatricians, family doctors often think that they also need to be endocrinologists in order to prescribe puberty blockers or gender affirming hormones. And so a big part of what we're doing in this training is addressing some of this misinformation to make sure that people know that, um, you know, if you're a nurse practitioner, you would never say, oh, I don't feel like I know enough about diabetes, so I'm not going to prescribe someone insulin or help them address that, right? Um, I think everyone understands that that a nurse practitioner, as an example, like their role would be to be responsive to those needs and facilitate care around that. And the same is true for gender-affirming medical care and that we have to find ways to overcome the stigma that has prevented providers who are anywhere from ambivalent to celebratory of LGBTQ identity to um, not being barriers to folks accessing services. Thank you for affirming that like autonomy that exists for individual practitioners and how that can make such a big difference in any spaces, like you said. I mean, they're not necessarily here, or maybe your community is not one that is openly affirming, or I just, I heard you earlier say something about it being radical, like this approach being radical and this information being radical. And I think because often, you know, we are surrounded by like-minded folks, we don't have to face necessarily the other side of the spectrum, where it's not just not just unaware, people who are unaware or unaccepting, but people who may be condemning or what have you. And so I think like the scope of this influence, you know, it's like Na said earlier, just limitless. Do you yeah, all- and I, oh, sorry. I just, yeah, I mean, because you even have providers who might work for like literal health systems that might not, you know what I mean? Might not be incredibly supportive. Um, but that really hit me, Jesse. Like that really, when you said like you are the person you've been waiting for, yes, like so you powerful. can be. It is because it's like you as a provider could be the person um, that changes. Not even like a sole patient, but an entire community's experience of healthcare um, in a particular system by being the one to say, hey, like, yeah, you know, maybe diabetes isn't your bag, but you definitely have to treat it, right? (laughs) And the same thing goes, um, you know, for young people who are, you know, in need of hormones and and want to address, you know, things like body dysmorphia and, and, you know, things along those lines and and conditions in that way. Um, You being a provider and being affirming and being creative, um, you know, could mean an entire community is now feeling um, comfortable and affirmed and, you know, maybe even healthier, right? Because they're engaging with healthcare because they know that they have um, an advocate. And it's, and yeah, and, and it's just like you say, you know, Ruth Ellis Center can't be everywhere. We would love to be, <laughs> we would love to be, um, you know, but we're not. And there's no reason that 
you know, for those that would engage in, in this type of training um, to feel as though, you know, they are powerless. You are powerful and you, you can absolutely um, positively impact the life of a, of a young LGBTQ person um, and or the community as a whole. Um, and, you know, taking a, a training like this, um, you know, could be a, you know, a wonderful first step in that direction. And especially anyone working in a school system. We are in back to school season, and this is mm -hmm. the time when we tend to get the most referrals at the Rizal Center because LGBTQ wow. young people are finding themselves um, feeling safe coming out or exploring how they express their identity within school if that isn't necessarily safe to do at home. And so if you mm -hmm. are a person that works and a school system in any capacity, you can be such an important part of a young person's gender affirming care. Um, and there, there are so many opportunities uh, for teachers, uh, support staff, mm -hmm. school nurses to initiate these conversations or just have those, those options out on the table for young people to learn more about. And, and part of the barriers sometimes to this work are, re are related to adultism, are related to how we view people under 18 and their ability to know themselves and have access to care. Um, and so that can get complicated, but it's so important that people under 18 are given as much agency and respect in their self-knowledge as people who are over 18 um, and that schools are aware of the role that they can play in making sure that young people are supported and having uh, safe conversations with their guardians in order to access care if they need permission. Some things they don't need permission for. A, um, a young person doesn't need permission from their guardian to be referenced by the name and pronouns they go by. It's not a, a legal um, decision that, uh, that needs to engage a guardian. Um, and uh, I think sometimes we overextend what a guardian's support and involvement means and, and confuse support and involvement with what decision-making really needs to be um, up to a young person. Again, you're just speaking to, you know, the magnitude of impact this can have, like seeing this 20 minute video, seeing five minutes of the video could change the, the outlook of an, an individual who has influence in a space so severely. Um, if folks have listened to podcasts of the past, we did have a counselor on discussing kind of like their approach to engaging LGBTQ young people. And that individual um, happens to be my partner and he's since implied um, this new <laughs> format for his students coming in this year where they have the opportunity to identify their chosen names and pronouns, how they'd like to be referred to, whether it's publicly um, in the classroom or, you know, whether in an individual one-to-one -one setting. And I think like if there's the opportunity to provide these like systems and these approaches, these techniques, tools, strategies to affirm it, like within an established system, my question, and this is not for you to answer, but my question is just how do we get this to be common practice and mandated across the board? I feel like that's one of the things that this video will help to inform and hopefully, you know, compel folks to integrate into parameters and policy that go into uh, the safety and the affirmation of an individual. Do you, do you all have any kind of like idealism in terms of the effects of releasing and sharing this or things that you hope for this piece that are sitting on your heart that you can share? I think um, before I touch on your question, Alicia, I will say like that's incredible work that your partner is doing. 
um, coming from a high school that was private and um, religiously founded, it's so important knowing that even if my experience wasn't my experience wasn't unaffirming, but knowing that there's a GSA at that school now, that there are teachers and counselors who are doing work to affirm young people without completely changing the dynamic of the school and keeping with its in integrity of what its mission is, is possible without making drastic changes that alert parents or families. It's small and it's youth informed and it's allowing mm -hmm. these young people to create the environment within their schools and their communities mm -hmm. right. that they feel a part of. Um, right. And it's starting small. It's starting where they spend the most amount of their time. Right. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's, it's heartwarming to know that there are adults in young people's lives that ha have had affirmed me and are continuing to like ask me or ask our Ruthella's community for the guidance to be able to provide those same spaces. Thank you for sharing mm -hmm. that. I love that. I will just say like on that same frequency, one other practice that they've done there is instead of using GSA as the term, like a gay straight alliance, they're just calling it like a diversity club. So folks can come in and not necessarily have to label or identify what it is they're experiencing that makes them feel that they want to share that space. So like you're saying, there's just so many um, new commonplace, quote unquote, for us at least, practices that are providing that opportunity and that safety. So I'm, I'm very grateful to know there's one school doing it and I'm hoping like I said um, that becomes commonplace across the board and I love that creativity um, because it's like it's clear that when you use a term like as opposed to GSA which in you know in some ways can be sort of very limiting when you're thinking about the huge swath of identities that exist within the community saying diversity <laughs> you know it's like literally all are welcome here you know what i mean exactly and and for those who you know would maybe see the term gsa and be like you know for especially for a parent like no i am not going to support that um you know it's it's clear that you know there was definitely some critical thinking that went into the term diversity knowing that it's like well that sounds great you know <laughs> when you're thinking about it sort of as a as a as a blanket statement it, it's it's amazing just how much more accessible that as a resource can be when you're using you know language like that so i i love that and it, it's clear that someone was um you know sort of very thoughtful in in putting that together and that's the sort of i, I think creativity um that this amazing training prompts it, it it prompts you to sort of take um it's just like you know selena said um you know even you know there might be systems that might not be a hundred percent you know sort of supportive but there are these small steps that you can take to to be accessible and affirming right, um, everything and, with intention right people need to know that this doesn't at all um it is not daunting you know, and really think about like what these experiences have been um, for our young people who, um, and even, you know, older people within the community who have spent uh, much of their lives not being affirmed, that there are very small steps that can be taken um, so that people enter spaces um, feeling comfortable as their entire selves, as opposed to, you know, a portion of themselves, or as opposed to, you know, someone that they don't even identify as. It could be a game changer. I mean, honestly, life saving. 
you know, um, and to know that in, 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 in such a tool, you could literally save a life. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud. Um, I'm, I'm so proud to not only just be associated with you as individuals, um, but as a center, just knowing that, you know, this is the sort of work that we're doing um, for the young people in our community. It is, it's game changing. Um, and uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm so hoping that, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people um, will, in, will engage um, in this clear labor of love that you all have executed. Thank you, Nazarena. Um, I, I think an ideal or just a future that I can see coming into reality um, after sharing the, this video and this training would be for anyone who identifies as trans or non-binary or with diverse soji sexual orientation, gender identity, and expression, um, to not hesitate when it comes to their health. So many times mm -hmm. we have watched folks consider their mental health or the amount of energy that they had before mm -hmm. going to an emergency room, before going to urgent care, before going to a doctor's yeah. appointment, hesitating to make um, a gynecological appointment for um, a non-binary person and how much energy it's going to feel for them to take out of their day. You don't want, I don't want healthcare or mental healthcare to be a chore for the person receiving it. Mm -hmm. It is our job to create these systems and, um, help in training and informing our community as providers of support to all be on the same page so that if someone wa walks through any door, they don't have to think about how am I going to be like mistreated and battered here? And what am I going to have to do to take care of myself later? Because, oh, well, well, I also might not have gender affirming mental health care. Not having to think about those things or, you know, prioritizing not being misgendered over their own safety and their own well-being and their own health and survival. Yeah. Right, the ratio. We should never have to be weighing out how much emotional labor do I have to accommodate what it will take to experience this mm, care. That's crazy. Quote, mm -hmm. quote, care versus mm -hmm. having that yeah. open opportunity. Mm. So what final thoughts, you know, Selena, Jesse, would you like to share, you know, miracle question. <laughs> what would you like, um, you know, for the many people that are listening to this interview today, um, you know, to sort of come away with from this conversation? Sign up for the training. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. But also not, uh, to piggyback on what Jesse said, um, this isn't just work Ruth Ellis can do find those resources, find um, information on how to do it yourself or mm -hmm. finding what support you need to do it yourself in, within your area and find out from who you provide for 
what it is they want and need. Yep. Yeah, and I think I think um, what what is really helpful in our work at the institute is reminding people that this isn't about knowledge acquisition. It's not about knowing all the different names of um, gender affirming hormones that that a person might decide they want to access. Um, that is helpful to know, depending on your job. But what's more important is being aware of your approach to yourself, to other people, and to your work, and how having a shift in your approach is what really makes all of the difference, right? So, so you don't have to look, you can't look at a person and know their pronouns, but if your approach is that I am going to make time to always defer to people as experts in their own lives, I am going to approach my work as every day, recognizing that there's something to learn um, while honoring my own experience and my own expertise, but, but being open to, to learning more and going deeper with things. And I think that if you have that mindset and approach to your life and your work that the rest can follow. Um, and when we think about gender, it touches everything, right? Um, from the moment you wake up in the morning and if you look at yourself in the mirror, what, what thoughts are you having about yourself and how are those gendered and what does that mean for, for how you care for yourself and how you live in the world? And um, starting there, regardless of how you identify and making sure that you're affirming yourself and, and your ability to navigate everything that comes in your direction and then being able to give that to other people. And, and again, you know, this is, there's some really concrete implications for all of this training and work for professionals, but I, I can't underscore enough how much it applies to all of us. Thank you both so much for sharing that. Um, I'm feeling really compelled just to say thank you for all the work you put into the movie or to the piece, I'm sorry, and for developing this training, making those resources available for so many people and, you know, just a shout out to the youth who had the courage to put themselves um, in that space. So we thank them for their contribution, their testimony, their narrative stories, um, personhood, and, and having the courage to share that on such a broad um, platform and, and recognizing that it can only be a benefit uh, to, mm -hmm. to do that. So I'm really grateful oh, to yeah. them as well. So thank you for giving them that space and, and thank you to them for taking it. Our young people really make our little world go around. Oof, say it. Right, they are our world, kind of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so much of this is about, um, yeah, honoring their existence, their dignity, so that they know, you know, you are 100%, you deserve to feel human every day. And, and they teach yeah. us so much. I, I thank you, Jesse, for mentioning that, that there's something to take away and learn every day. And even though we are the ones providing this kind of training and putting out this video, there is so much that I still learned. And there is still so much that I'm excited to learn about. Yeah. So we'll definitely be in learning and loving. Exactly. 
as Naya said earlier, it's a labor of love truly. And that is reflected in the piece. It's really touching and informative and powerful. And I'm excited for our community to be able to see it. So we thank you both so much for joining us today. And uh, we look forward to having you back again. So I'm sure there'll be some innovative content to share in the time coming. Absolutely. Thank you. Have yeah, thank you. It's uh, time for our Voices of REC LGBTQ plus ally of the week. Oh, I love that. Wait, are we going to use that? We're using it. It's used. Definitely. Oh my God. I love, can we do that all the time? Yeah. Of course. Oh my can. God. Yes, please. All the time. <laughs> I just like have to commit it to memory that this is happening every time we do LGBTQ ally of the week. Like, come on, y'all. Get into it. Yes. Wait. Uh. A little James Brown. Uh. Yeah. So let's just, I don't know. Let's keep it. Let's use it forever. Um, Have to shout out between the lines. Okay. I just, I have to. I have never known. I don't even know if you think of newspapers, if you think of like online magazines, online newspapers. I don't know if I ever think about them as like a loving entity, mm. okay? But between the lines, okay, I've never had an interaction with them where I didn't come away 100% um, being totally in love with myself and this incredible community, okay? I never come away like, all right, I'm constantly just like in total awe of just how the hand is clearly on the pulse, not even the that pulse, part. like, yes. Like if, if if our community was a body, okay? It, a body, which, you know, it, it is a body, okay? It is, give the whole like, body. Just, just our our literary heart, like, <laughs> okay? It beats for between the lines. Oh my gosh. So, and you know, for those of you that might not be familiar, look, they always, they always have the haps, okay? Something happening in the LGBTQ community, they make it a point to be there in the know, okay? Number one on my reading list. Seriously, Number one on my reading seriously. List. Yes. I mean, even with like, you're meeting these incredible authors, artists, practitioners, like people who are just like doing the work, doing their thing in the community. They, they're they just there all the time. Um, dare I say, like they're definitely a part of the Ruth Ellis Center family. Absolutely. Without they're fam. question. Without the question. fam bam. Um, so, you know, for those who may not be super familiar, like do yourself a favor, pull up pridesource.com. That's P-R-I-D-E, pride source like origin y'all s-o-u-r-c-e dot com pull it up it's michigan centric it's lgbtq diverse soji centric you deserve this you deserve to meet these wonderful people see their beautiful words okay and their incredible thoughts on paper just do it do it do it for yourself you deserve it and, and at the same time, I want to say, like, I feel unworthy to know so much, to have such a direct source 
of information about things that I care about. I mean, even I I got a shout out too. They wrote an article uh, prefacing Pride, Motor City Pride. Yeah. And I felt 10 times more comfortable having read that article coming in because I knew what to expect, what was going on. They give the rundown on everything. Like, seriously. Thank you, Between the Lines. Yes. You are allied. Seriously, this page is just, it's beautiful, it's colorful, it's thoughtful. You're seeing like all kinds of people, all these different experiences highlighted. An honor, honestly, to know them and even be featured as a center from time to time in here. It's just, it's incredible to to have this in our community and be able, just have the great privilege and fortune to be a part of it. Um, They're just an incredible bunch of folks, incredible bunch of folks. So you really owe it to yourself to hop online if you can. Right now, even, this podcast is ending, okay? (laughs) Which means right after, you can start reading. You can start, (laughs) okay? There it is. All right, this this episode is over, all right? We won't keep you. We're not. Between the lines. Okay, go hang out with the beautiful people of BTL, like seriously, right now. Um, but yeah, we thank you. Thank you for joining us, um, letting us hold this space with you. Honestly, it's always an honor. Absolutely. And I, you know what, we'll, we'll ask you to stick around for maybe just one more minute so you can find out uh, some of the cool stuff that's happening next time. Ooh. Uh, voices of REC. Do tell. What's coming? Mm-hmm. Tell you. Okay. On the next episode of Voices of REC, we will be sitting down with Chloe Davis. Chloe is the author of The Queen's English, the LGBTQIA dictionary of lingo and colloquial phrases. Chloe is a Black bisexual woman who is inspired by the evolution of language she's experienced herself and within the culture to create this dictionary, which is like a landmark reference guide to and for the LGBTQIA community's contribution to the English language. It features an intersectional, inclusive, and super fun illustrated glossary featuring more than 800 terms and fabulous phrases created by and for queer culture. The Queen's English is packed with queer history lessons, how-to tutorials, engaging art, and a resource guide of LGBTQIA organizations. The Ruth Ellis Center is even mentioned. It references Sappho, Harlem Renaissance, ballroom culture, leather community, queer theory, stonewall feminism, marriage equality, pronouns, pride flags, and much, much more. To pick up your guide, you can get your own copy um, at thequeensenglishus.com. So thequeensenglishus.com. Chloe was super kind and sent some copies to the center. They've been circulating and folks love them. I am super excited to sit down with Chloe, talk about the talk, and share it with all of you next time on Voices of REC.